Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you want to subscribe to the show, please do so by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. If you want to become a supporter, head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. And if you want to keep in touch, do so on Twitter, following me at boogie bumper. It's good to be with you as always. Hope you're doing well. Uh, today, I, I just wanted to have share a couple of thoughts and maybe have a little discussion about the concept of fear, fear in politics. I was just going over some of the midterm debates and some of the press reporting of the specific races in various areas, namely the Senate race down in Texas between Robert O'Rourke and Senator Ted Cruz. And the well-worn line, the well-used line that we've all heard many, 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 many times is the accusation that your opponent is merely using fear to win votes. Now, I'm not denying for a second that fear is a powerful motivator for people. It's, it's a pretty base emotion. A lot of base emotions are powerful motivators for people. Not just fear, but anger as well. And on the flip side, you know, people can do amazing things out of love or happiness. Just like they can do amazing things out of anger or fear. But the accusation that your opponent is merely using fear It's a fear campaign. When I used to hear this when I was younger, it would anger me. And then as I got a little bit older, it would confuse me why this line was so effective. And now here I am after doing this for some time and having had this line not only thrown around in front of me watching politics, but, you know, even thrown at me on occasion, (laughs) it now just amuses me. Now I just laugh when I hear this line because it's completely nonsensical. I've got an article here from the Huffington Post. Beto O'Rourke shifts gears, goes full offense in Ted Cruz attack ads. And here's a quote from Mr. O'Rourke. We've got to lead on immigration reform, and yet Ted Cruz, he's the only senator to vote against moving forward with that conversation. He's vowed to deport every single dreamer. He's selling paranoia and fear instead of solutions. (laughs) Let's just break that down for a second. First of all, I love the fact that uh, Mr. O'Rourke, who goes by the name of Beto, Beto, apparently a name given to him by a Hispanic maid, I believe. 
it quite possibly he could quite, uh, possibly be the first ever Latino Irishman <laughs> that we know of. Uh, despite that, he's probably still got more Native American genetic code in his system than Elizabeth Warren does. But we'll get to Liz a little later on. But the fact that there is a guy with a with a nickname of Beto who is attacking Ted Cruz, son of a Cuban immigrant, <laughs> for using, quote, paranoia and fear in regards to the immigration debate, it doesn't get much more absurd than that, doesn't it? You have the legitimate son of a Hispanic immigrant versus an Irishman who's got a Spanish-sounding nickname. <laughs> But this accusation that he's selling paranoia and fear instead of solutions, it's, it's just like an empty line. It's just something to throw out there. And, and this kind of stuff would have worked years ago. I just don't think it works anymore. I, I don't think it's, it's, you're able to rally the troops by merely accusing someone of using fear. My question would be, okay, how is he using fear? to win votes by saying the immigration system needs reform by suggesting that reform should take the line of a hard stance when it comes to illegal immigration how is that using fear and paranoia not to mention the fact that you are saying that he will deport quote unquote dreamers and the dreamers are characterized as immigrant children when we know the facts a large number of them are not children at all right there was many cases that were discovered over the course of the last few years where the where the dreamers were adults the immigration regulations were so lax and a lot of people took advantage of it. And good luck to them. Do people living in Western democratic republics and liberal democracies no longer have the right to decide who comes to their country and who doesn't? I mean, if you ask rational people whether or not they, as a population, as a nation, should have the ultimate right to decide who becomes part of their nation. And someone would say to them, no, of course not. Of course you don't. You don't have that right. That just makes you a bigot. Well, if that's what's being sold, then I would, I would suggest that people have every right to be fearful and maybe even a little bit paranoid that they're losing control of their nation. The main reason that this, this accusation of using fear irks me is it's everybody does it. Everybody does it. The, the irony here is that Beto O'Rourke is a Democrat. His very accusation itself contains lines that are designed to strike fear in the hearts of his support base. He's vowed to deport every one of you. I mean, the entire Democratic Party platform is based on fear. 
And it started years ago when Donald Trump was still a candidate. If Donald Trump gets elected, he's going to throw gay people into camps. He's going to have mass deportations. Even if he lost, the accusations of fear were there. We can't, we can't be too careful. When Donald Trump loses, his supporters are going to start a civil war. Right? I mean, a big part of the O'Rourke cruise debate was about climate change. Look at this. Look at this in Salon from Paul Krugman. I mean, because we wouldn't want to use fear. We don't, we don't want to be spreading fear around willy-nilly. We don't want to be caught using the politics of paranoia and fear, do we? Paul Krugman in Salon, quote, We are now ruled by people who are willing to endanger civilization for the sake of political expediency. <laughs> civilization itself is now at risk. Why? Because of the Trump, agenda, uh, the Trump administration's policies on climate change. Civilization itself will come to an end unless you remove the president and vote for Democrats. I mean, we had Hillary Clinton, what, a few days ago, last week, saying, we can't be civil with you people. What do you expect? Don't be stupid. You can't expect civility. No, the only way that we can have civility is if you vote Democrats back in power. Tell me that's not selling paranoia and fear. I mean, Donald Trump is literally hitting. You have people screaming on the streets at nothing. And they're being encouraged to do so. Selling fear and paranoia. When Brett Kavanaugh was finally confirmed to the Supreme Court, you had more than one commentator suggests that this this is the this is going to put all women in America at risk. Everyone's at risk now because of this sexual abuser who's managed to coerce and cheat his way onto the court, the highest court in the land. Selling paranoia and fear. Remember this from Nancy Pelosi? Healthcare, the debate on healthcare is life death. This is Armageddon. Uh, this is a very big deal. The debate on healthcare is life and death. This is Armageddon. This is a, this is a big deal. If we don't get our way in the healthcare debate, everyone's going to be dead. Everyone. I mean, how many times have you seen it? An argument about welfare, for example. You may be arguing modest cuts in welfare spending, say. What's the accusation? What's the campaign line coming from the welfare, the, the side that's in favour of increasing welfare all the time? You can't do this. People will starve to death. People will die in the streets. Those pigs over there are trying to rip away your benefits. They want to harm you. They want you all dead. 
selling fear and paranoia instead of solutions. I mean, you could look at it this way. Which side sells empowerment? Which, which, which side of the ideological divide sells empowerment and which side sells fear more routinely? Take welfare, for example. One side, loosely categorised, loosely defined, will say, you don't need the government to keep you. You don't need the government. You don't need to be supported by the government. You can get out and do it yourself. You can get involved. Get involved in the economy. Get a job. Start building a nest egg. Start a family. Put money away. We'll lower your taxes so you can keep more of your own money. Get an education, right? Increase your skills. The freer the market, the better opportunity you have of success because you can do it. It's up to you. It's how much do you want it? How hard do you want to work? Then, of course, the accusation coming from the other side is, but wait, without government help, without welfare, You're killing all of these people. You're giving them no chance. They're going to be left behind, right? Common political rhetoric. You want to leave all of these people behind. But they're the ones saying that the only way that you can exist is off the government tip. They're the ones saying that unless the government puts food in your mouth, on your behalf, that you couldn't possibly succeed. You couldn't possibly do things on your own. You, po- you couldn't possibly self-actualize and become empowered. And guess what? Those nasty, grubby people on the other side, they want you to suffer. So who's selling paranoia and fear? You know, there's been more debate lately about things like gender quotas in, in workplaces. Now, one side says you should, you should compete on your merits. Who, who says that you can't get a job over a man? Who would say such a thing? Are you more qualified? Do you bring more value to the business? Are you going to be better at your job than the man is? Then come on in. You, do, you don't need a gender quota. You don't need an allocated space reserved for you. You can do this on your own. It's up to you. How bad do you want it? Get out there. Get that job. Strive. The other side says you couldn't possibly compete in this environment. You, 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 you couldn't possibly beat these people on your own merits. You need the government to create special laws for you. So you can be on a quote-unquote level playing field. Without us, you couldn't possibly achieve anything. But we're going to make it okay as long as you put us back in, as long as you vote for us. Because those pigs on the other side, you know, the same pigs who support things like the sexual abuse of women with their endorsement of Brett Kavanaugh, for example, well, they want you to suffer. If they have their way, You'll be transported back to the 1950s. You'll be chained up to the oven once more. You'll never leave the house. They hate all women. They hate them. 
There's a, the, the GOP has a war on women. How many times have you heard that? And unless you vote for us, you're never going to be able to achieve anything. We'll, we'll make sure that you do. Selling paranoia and fear. And I mean, we're now at the stage with climate change that if you, if you don't vote for the Democrats, the whole bloody world is going to end anyway. I was, I was reading an article earlier on Slate. Should, should I have kids even though climate change is going to end the world as we know it? Isn't that a little bit selfish of me? Is that going to make climate change worse? Selling paranoia and fear. So that's why that kind of, that kind of political speak, that, those kinds of comments, whether I witness them or they're thrown directly at me, they just don't bother me anymore. I, I laugh. Because I know basically the entire, you know, the entire ideological platform on the left and has, is built on fear and always has been. Remember, it's, it's, there's fear of capitalism because those greedy business owners, they're going to starve you to death. They're going to work you to death. That's built on fear. There's fear of the rich. The rich are trying to keep you down. Squashing you. Trampling on your dreams. You need to get rid of them. That's selling fear. There's fear of freedom. I mean, why do, why do you think why do you think safe spaces exist? The people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally endorse the creation of safe spaces in universities and triggering warnings, trigger warnings, just in case someone might present a piece of educational material, whether it be in some kind of book or movie, that may stroke them in a negative way emotionally. The people accusing you of selling fear and paranoia literally need to be warned about material in books in universities before they hear it. And they say you're the ones pushing fear. In reality, they are the ones that exist and live and breathe in a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year campaign of fear. Fear of everything outside the norm that's been constructed within the bounds of the ideology itself. Because their fear, real or imagined, is what motivates them to accuse you of using fear against them. Just want another touch on another article here. The Lizzie Warren thing, that's still going. But now the left has started to turn on. Who would have thunk it? Who would have thought that the left-wing media would start turning on Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> An article here in Slate. And you can, of course, uh, check out the show notes. We'll leave them up. You can go through these things yourself. But headline in Slate, this was an own goal. This was ridiculous. Why the Elizabeth Warren DNA story has united the right in anger and mockery. There you go. You're angry right-wingers. <laughs> 
On Monday, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren took the remarkable step of releasing a DNA test that found, quote, strong evidence of Native American ancestry six to ten generations ago. As the New York Times put it, just as President Trump, uh, Trump's embrace of birtherism led to the remarkable spectacle of President Obama's birth certificate being distributed in the White House, Mr. Trump's unrelenting mockery of Senator Elizabeth Warren as Pocahontas, questioning her claims about having Native American heritage, led to Monday's events. As we said in the podcast a couple of days ago, President Trump is living in these people's heads. And they have absolutely no idea what to do about it. The president waved off the test results, but Warren's decision to release them was questioned by some liberals who worried that a finding that she could be as little as one in one one thousand and twenty fourth Native American would do nothing to neutralize the question of why three decades ago. No, that's not accurate. That's misdirection. She identified as a Native American. She might have initially identified as a Native American three decades ago, but she's been doing it a lot ever since. (laughs) She's still doing it today. (laughs) That's why she released the DNA results, because she still thinks she's Native American. It wasn't like a one-off, off-handed comment 30 years ago that just, like, Donald Trump just dug up for no reason and started calling her Pocahontas. No, she's made a career out of it. Did you hear about the cookbook yet? Submitting submitting, submitting Native American recipes to some cookbook under the moniker Elizabeth Warren, Cherokee. It's like Bond, James Bond, Warren, Cherokee Warren. To talk about Warren, race and the right, I spoke by phone with David French a senior writer at National Review who made headlines during the most recent presidential election as a prominent never-Trump conservative and alt-right target. More recently, he has defended Brett Kavanaugh while continuing uh, continuing to express mixed views about the president. He actually uh, also, I think, recently came out and said, well, the way President Trump handled the Brett Kavanaugh thing has shown all of us that the Democrats have completely lost their minds or something to that effect. He was asked, why do you think people on the right are angry about Warren's release of her test results? (laughs) It's always this projection of anger when all I see is a lot of laughing, a lot of memery. And the answer was, quote, I would say there are some voices that are angry. I think it was much more mockery, to be honest. I think it was mockery on a couple of fronts. One was the idea that Elizabeth Warren had vindicated her decision in any way to hold herself out as a Native American by releasing those DNA results, which demonstrate that her Native American heritage is really far removed. I mean, so far removed that the idea that you would tell a legal directory that you're Native American is just ridiculous. There was mockery that this would in any way vindicate her, followed by hard-on-heels mockery at media outlets reporting it as vindication. Ding, 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 ding. The the fact that people were doubling down on this, I found extraordinary, personally. But carry on, quote, I think that was the dominant strain of it. I don't think it was fury. Maybe some, but I think the dominant strain was this was an own goal. This was ridiculous. And this is something that the media would never fall for if a Republican did the same thing. But it's not even that. Yeah, it's not even like a base. You know, it's not even a base hypocrisy line. And that's not. That's not doing this justification. If you are on the side of identity politics, if you are on the side of 
the political spectrum that not only endorses identity politics, but embraces it, that puts personal ethnic identity and intersectionality, whether it be gender or, you know, uh, flu- fluidity in gender, whatever gender you want to be, or, you know, religion, if you're a Muslim or a Christian or whatever, or if you're a black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever the identity marker of the day is. And if you are on the side that puts that ahead of everything else and as like a predeterminate for the, the rest of your life, how, how on earth could you continue to defend a woman who has claimed ownership of a specific identity group in the victim class when quite literally, scientifically and statistically, she is one of the whitest people in America, one of the oppressors. Remember, Elizabeth Warren is not your blue dog moderate Democrat. She's from the hard left. She's, she's from right out there on the hard left. How do you think the comrades will react to such an abuse of identity politics? Now, of course, a large section of them will just pretend like it never happened. In Why? Because they see it as an opportunity to hit Trump. A, a, a ridiculous, pathetic opportunity, but an opportunity nonetheless that's not going to work in their favour. Because now all of the liberal publications are coming out and attacking her. Like, they, re- they realise that they need to disown this mess. Because she's made an absolute meal out of it. But if you are someone that, you know, strictly adheres to the doctrines of identity politics like isn't this cultural appropriation times 10 isn't this one of the most flagrant cases you've seen of someone trying to hijack your identity one one thousandth and 24th native american apparently this is enough now is it enough for you If you're a hardcore progressive, do you think this is good? That, you know, someone statistically, scientifically, arguably one of the whitest people in America would take ownership of a victim class without justification, without without sufficient evidence? And then use that use that story for the next thirty years? and then produce the DNA results, which are in of themselves laughable, and still claim it as some kind of win? And, you know, and then turn around, and we'll talk about the politics of fear, and then say people like Donald Trump are using the politics of fear against me and racist attacks. I'm being attacked in a racist fashion. No, you're not. You're being attacked with a word, Pocahontas, because it would be impossible to attack you in a racist fashion over your Native American identity because it doesn't exist. You're not Native American. You're not Cherokee. You're not even one one thousandth Native American or Cherokee. It's not a racist attack, honey. And you aren't the victim. You're, you're just one of the oppressors just like all of the people that you accuse of pushing bigotry and fear and paranoia. You're one of the bad guys. And now, thanks to this effort, thanks to this strategic misstep of epic proportions, 
Now all of your comrades on the hard left, they know it too. They know it too. So good luck with that. Good luck in the future. Wish you all the best, Elizabeth Warren. An own goal indeed. One more quick article here before we go. Fake news is poisoning Brazilian politics. WhatsApp can stop it. On Trust and Verify the other night with James R., I brought up an article where the the guy who potentially could be president, uh, Bolsonaro, his name is, he's a reported of being, as being in the Trump mold. You know that's true because in this New York Times article, he's referred to as far right, the far right candidate, Bolsonaro, and his left-wing opponent, Fernando Haddad. But listen, listen to this, just a couple of paragraphs. WhatsApp, the Facebook-owned messaging app, is one of the main tools that Brazilians use to keep in touch with friends and family and do business. Increasingly, it is also part of politics. A recent poll found that 44% of voters in Brazil use WhatsApp to read political and electoral information. Unfortunately, here it comes. In the lead-up to the first round of the presidential election on October 7, the app was used to spread alarming amounts of misinformation, rumours and false news. They don't use the term fake news anymore. It's false news now. (laughs) It's time to disown the fake news meme, apparently. We're just a few weeks before the runoff vote on October 28 between the far-right candidate Bolsonaro and his left-wing opponent, Fernando Haddad. There is still time for WhatsApp... Now, listen to this. This is the New York Times. There is still time for WhatsApp to make temporary changes to the platform to reduce the poisoning of Brazilian political life. The the company must be decisive before it's too late. Does that count as a fear campaign? Does, Does that count as using fear and paranoia in politics? poisoning Brazilian political life because this guy, Bolsonaro, who has far less money, who doesn't have access to all of the top TV shows because his supporters are sharing things like memes and having political discussions in private on the WhatsApp app, well, this has to stop. We, we can't let a far-right bigot in power. Back to the article, quote, there have been positive developments in the fight against false news in Brazil. You see, the New York Times considers uh, censorship as a positive development. A so-called liberal publication. Quote, one of our, ours is one of 17 countries where Facebook has third-party fact-checkers trying to weed out misinformation on the platform's newsfeed. Facebook and Google have also collaborated on an initiative called Comprova, gathering 24 Brazilian newsrooms to debunk misleading links, videos, and images. If you think it's about newsrooms debunking misleading links, videos, and images, you're wrong. It's about newsrooms trying to make sure that everybody goes to them. The expansion of social media and the way people communicate with each other now, the liberation of this area has led to newsrooms becoming increasingly irrelevant and they know it. They're the last ones to the party. 
Back to the article. But these efforts seem to have pushed dirty campaigns elsewhere. See, the dirty campaigns of the far right. The fake news, the misinformation, the lies. It's poisoning Brazilian political life, ladies and gentlemen. It's poison. It's got to be stopped. In particular to WhatsApp, where activity consists of encrypted personal conversations and chat groups involving up to 256 people. Such chat groups are much harder to monitor than the Facebook newsfeed or Google's search results. Let that statement settle in your brain there for a second. It's not good enough for the New York Times to have Facebook and Google and Twitter employing teams of people to go around, scour the internet for what they determine to be fake, for what they determine to be misleading. Think of the power that's invested in these people. It's not good enough for the New York Times to have Brazilian newsrooms flagging material to be taken down. No. Now it's, here's the quote again, where activity consists of encrypted personal conversations and chat groups involving up to 256 people. They want into your personal conversations too. Not just the public feeds, not just the bulletin boards, not just the public chat rooms, not just the Twitter feed, not just the news feed on Facebook. No, that's not good enough. The New York Times, in its censorious, illiberal, overt way, is literally advocating, hey, this isn't right. People are having personal conversations and they're they're spreading what we determine to be fake news and misleading information. Jokes and memes are part of that. And they want in. They want to put a stop to it. Policing your personal conversations to determine, you know, to, to get involved in what you think and what you say to each other on that level. Now, merely reading this report from the New York Times and analysing what these people are actually advocating, that might get me labelled as someone who's pushing fear and paranoia. Oh, we don't want invo- we don't want to be involved in your personal conversations. No, no, no. We just want to police it to make sure that there aren't any dangerous memes floating around out there in the ether. Don't be so paranoid. Stop using fear. But to bring it back to our earlier conversation, who are the fearful here? Who are the ones using fear? The people who read this and understand what these people are asking for? Or the people who literally want big corporations, big companies to read your personal messages, your encrypted personal interactions and regulate them? Because if they don't, what's going to happen? The far right bigot might win an election. That's selling fear, ladies and gentlemen. That's paranoia. Right there. If you thought the invasive nature, the inherent invasive nature of some people on the left was going to stop at what's available in the public domain, guess again. We already know that they try and regulate human interaction 
Like, what do you think the whole pronouns thing is about? They literally want to introduce laws to tell you how to talk to each other. What you can say and what you can't say. And under the guise of fake news, under the guise of misinformation, which is just code for shit we don't like, they are, they are even going to try and work, your way, work their way into your personal messages. Wouldn't that be nice to have Snopes or some equivalent snooping around in your personal messages? Determining what's real and what's not real. Because, they, and they understand full well, because there is a threat there that the left-wing politicians that they champion and the policies that they push aren't going to get the job done on their own. And what better way to ensure victory than to keep a very, very, very close eye on your opponents, even in their own personal conversations, to make sure they dare not come up with anything that might threaten the legitimacy of their chosen power politicians. Thanks for joining us, guys. If you want to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you would like to subscribe, and I hope that you do, please hit the subscribe button on your predetermined preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to get in touch, head on over to Twitter, Twitter and follow me at boogie bumper. Don't forget, tomorrow night, the free-for-all, that goes live on YouTube, Stream.me and Periscope. And again, if you for the quickest, easiest way to get involved, head to Twitter, at Boogie Bumper, and there'll be links up there when we go live uh, at around 11pm Eastern Time. Uh, you can join in the conversation, throw your comments and insults at us. I don't block anyone. Trolls are welcome, so bring them all in. We don't mind. And that's generally a longer show with a lot of audience interaction. So I hope you can join us for that. Until next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.